Well, I heard a story about a family that was traveling international, internationally over the Christmas holidays uh, one year, and because of their international flight and crossing over many time zones, the story goes that they ended up actually missing Christmas Day. I did some international travel uh, a year ago to India, and it's true, you can, you know, the way your flight goes and crossing over those time zones, the better portion of a day was, uh, was gone. I don't know if that story is actually true, but I do know that there are many people this year who will miss Christmas, and it'll have nothing to do with international flights or time zone crossings, but it'll have everything to do with missing the true meaning and significance of what Christmas is all about, which is what that was all about. So I want to talk with you this morning, or this evening, help you to not miss Christmas this year by reminding you of the true meaning of Christmas And there are three things that we all need to understand tonight in order to truly grasp the meaning and the significance of Christmas. Three things that you need to know if Christmas is going to truly be Christmas for you. So let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit right now, you would speak to each and every heart here today. You would open eyes to understand the true nature of Christmas so that we might have a a truly joyful celebration of the birth of your Son. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Three things you need to know for Christmas to be Christmas for you this year, and they're all contained in one verse. Just one verse tonight. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. And as it appears on the screen, let's read this out loud together. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Let's say it again. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. First thing you need to know tonight for Christmas to be Christmas for you is that he appeared. He appeared. That's the unbelievable plan of Christmas. You know, some people want us to believe that the essence of Christmas is going shopping or giving and receiving gifts or gathering together with family or decorating or having a few days off of work or watching classic Christmas movies or doing a lot of baking. I'm actually doing some baking tomorrow. I'm going to bake a turkey tomorrow. I think it's the first time I've ever done it. I have no idea how to do it, so I went on the internet and I got on to howtobakeathanksgivingturkey.com. And I figured it'd probably work for Christmas too, you think? And uh, it takes you step by step how to do it so you can't blow it. So I'm hoping I won't mess up the Christmas baking tomorrow. And, you know, all of those things are fine. All of those things are good. Our family is going to do all of the things that I just mentioned. But none of them is the essence or core of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is found in those two words. He appeared. Someone came. Someone arrived. Someone showed up. Someone made an entrance. Someone made an appearance. And it was part of an unbelievable plan. A cosmic plan of the ages. He appeared. Who's he? Jesus. The one we've been singing about. The second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Son. The promised Messiah. The Savior. Jesus, the one who made all things and the one for whom all things have been made. Jesus appeared. He appeared. 
One man said this, when you take Christ out of Christmas, you don't have Christmas, you just have a mess. And I think he's right. Christmas is about Christ. Christ appeared 2,000 years ago. Just think about that for a moment. Think about this plan, this astonishing plan that God concocted. He sent his son to earth not as a mature adult, but as a helpless little baby boy. Born not in a palace, but in a stable, not into aristocracy, but into a peasant family. He was born not in the 21st century, but back in the first century, not in America. He was born in Palestine. His arrival was marked by little fanfare and only a few onlookers. And of course, the circumstances surrounding his birth were scandalous at best. Under dark clouds of suspicion, a baby born out of wedlock to a peasant girl who claimed that she had not slept with her fiancé or any man. What do you imagine the townspeople thought when Mary started to show a little bit as she was making her way around the village? He appeared, but he did it in such an ironic fashion. The infinite became an infant. And may I remind you that Bethlehem's baby was both God and man. Jesus was God and man, and he was not some composite. He was not 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And you say the math doesn't add up, and it never does with Jesus Christ. He was the God-man. The God-man. Fully God and fully man. And he appeared, and his appearance was astonishing. It was ironic. It was humble. It was unassuming. He came into the world gurgling and cooing like any little baby, crying, even though the Christmas song says no crying he makes. He cried. He nursed at his mother's breast and spit up like any baby would. Can you imagine how that young mother Mary felt holding in her arms, nestling in her arms, the very creator of the universe? song that's very quickly becoming my favorite song has wonderful lyrics, and I won't sing it for you because I wouldn't want to show up Michael English, but it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and our daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, and the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, this sleeping child that you're holding, say it with me if you know it, is the great I am, the name of God. No wonder it says that Mary kept all these things in her heart and treasured them. He appeared, he arrived, God broke in and invaded our planet. It was the great invasion by God Almighty. That's the unbelievable plan of Christmas. That's what we celebrate today. Do you understand this? Do your children understand this, parents? Do they understand that Christmas 
is the invasion of God into our world, the inbreaking of the Almighty. He appeared. Notice there's a second thing we must know if Christmas is really going to be Christmas for you this year. We must know and grasp the undeniable purpose of Christmas. Not only that he appeared, but why he appeared. John wrote, you know that he appeared to take away sins. Would you say that phrase with me? To take away sins. Some people misunderstand the purpose of Christmas. Some people don't understand the primary reason why he came. Take a survey, go to Easton and ask shoppers, why did Jesus come to this earth? And you'll get a whole spectrum of answers. Christmas will take on new meaning for those who realize that Jesus appeared primarily, like it says, to take away sins. The angel left no doubt about this when he told Joseph what to name the little baby. Remember that? Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That implies that people need saving from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. People need saving from their sins. Jehovah is the one who saves them, and Jesus is Jehovah. He will save his people from their sins. You see, the baby was born to die. The shadow of a cross loomed over the manger in that Bethlehem stable. That's why the wise men presented the gift of myrrh, which was actually a perfume often used as a kind of burial spice, fitting for a corpse. It's a baby born to die to take away sins. You know, we love to think of, at Christmas time, of Jesus as a little warm, cuddly baby, but you know he grew up, right? <laughs> he grew up and became a man. And as he became a man, it became ever more apparent that he was a man on a mission. He had a mission. Well, what was his mission? People then and people now have had various notions as to what the primary mission of Jesus Christ was on this earth. Some people believe he came primarily to overthrow an oppressive political regime. Many were hoping for that. But although he lived in that environment his entire earthly life, he never once incited a riot or led a march or a picket against the Roman authorities. He never started a revolt. In the end, he meekly submitted to the Roman soldiers to the point of allowing himself to be crucified at their hands. What was his primary mission? Some think he came primarily to set a good moral example for everybody. And he did say he came to fulfill the law. But it soon became apparent that he believed that he was the only one who really could fulfill the law. Try harder and be more moral like me was not really part of his main message, was it? Instead, he set an unreachable standard of behavior. And he told people that they were slaves to sin and they couldn't behave much better apart from being born again. Some people think that Jesus' primary purpose was to come and teach people how to be more successful in life. And he did do a lot of teaching while he was here. But most of the content of his teaching was about himself and the true nature of this kingdom that he came to inaugurate. Many people were actually mystified and even offended by his teaching. And he regularly drove people away with hard sayings that seemed designed to weed out those who just wanted to use him for their own purposes. 
Why did he come? What was his primary purpose? To do miracles? Well, his miracles were certainly fantastic displays of power, but they, they seemed to be a means to another end, not an end in themselves. Many in our days say Jesus came to transform the culture. That's what he came for. And certainly he did come to establish a new kind of kingdom that would ultimately transform culture. But then he insisted that his kingdom was not of this world. And he was constantly making reference to an eternal kingdom that only a certain kind of people would inhabit. Did Jesus come primarily just to be a nice person? Well, you know, at times he wasn't very nice. He even called certain people choice names like snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs and children of hell. He seemed driven by a higher calling than just to be nice. So what was his primary purpose? Well, John the Apostle was with him for three years, and John's the one who wrote this verse in 1 John 3, 5, and he tells us that Jesus' primary mission for coming was to take away sins. That squares with what the angel told Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. John the Baptist looked out one day and saw Jesus walking down the road, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came to take away sins. That's the primary purpose for his coming. And so what are sins that he intended to take away? Well, simply stated, sins are the many ways that human beings fail to glorify God supremely with their lives. The Bible says all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Failing to glorify God as he deserves is sin, the essence of sin. Sin is making little gods out of created things rather than worshiping the one true God and him alone. Sin is breaking God's holy law. Of course, the Bible says that if you've broken just one of the Ten Commandments, you are a lawbreaker and have broken all of them. Sin is living as if I were the king of the universe, displacing God. Sin is failing to honor God as he deserves. Sins are first and foremost offenses against God, our creator and king, and then secondly, offenses against those God has created. The Bible mentions a lot of sins. I know right now maybe you're saying, this isn't the warm, fuzzy Christmas Eve sermon I came to hear. Where's Away in the Manger and uh, Silent Night and Sweet Little Baby Jesus? We'll get there, okay? But right now I need to talk to you about sins because he came to take away sins. The Bible talks about sins like evil thoughts, pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, selfish ambition, Greed, lust, fornication, sexual immorality, adultery, sensuality, gluttony, yikes, slander, idolatry, putting something else in the place that only God deserves, witchcraft, jealousy, fits of rage, hatred, causing discord, murder, taking God's name in vain, Rebelling against authority, lying, stealing, lack of compassion, ungratefulness, failing to love God with all your heart, failing to love our neighbors as ourselves. Are there any sinners in the room tonight? We're all sinners. And we need a savior. We need a rescuer. And Jesus Christ appeared to take away sins. 
That's the undeniable purpose of Christmas. Jesus became a man and died on an old rugged cross to take away sins, my many sins and your many sins. It's interesting. He came, he appeared to take away sins. The word take away is the Greek word ion. It means to, to lift a burden off and to take it away, carry it away, as if you had a, a heavy backpack weighing you down and someone came along and took that backpack off and walked away with it, carried it away. He came to lift up and carry away sins. It's interesting, isn't it? It actually points us back to the Old Testament and a, a practice that was part of the Jewish ceremonial law where once a year the high priest would have two goats brought before him and he would slaughter one to make atonement for the sins of the people, but then the one was left living. And in Leviticus 16.20 it says this, And when the high priest made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. I almost brought a live goat in tonight to do this, but then I thought better of it. He shall present the live goat, and Aaron, that was the high priest, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions and all of their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and then send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is ready. And the goat shall bear all of their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. This goat is called the what? The scapegoat, right out of the Old Testament. And in this ceremony, the, the high priest would place his hands on the head of this goat, and in some sort of mystical, mysterious way, all the transgressions and sins of all of the Israelites would be transferred to this goat, and then the goat was sent away into the wilderness. John said Jesus appeared to take away sins, to lift up and bear and take away and carry away sins. Jesus, he was saying, was the ultimate scapegoat. That's how he took away sins. Others' sins were put on him. Isn't this what Isaiah 53 says? We all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of of us all. Jesus came, he appeared to take away sins, and he did it by becoming the scapegoat. You know what the ultimate purpose of Christmas is that you need to understand? Is that God, in that moment, took all of your sins, all of your transgressions, and all of mine, placed them on the head of Jesus Christ, and then sent him off, banished him into the wilderness of hell for you and for me. And when you get your mind wrapped around that, you'll be grateful for Christmas in a new way. He appeared to take away sins, to become the scapegoat for us. And you know, he didn't have to do it every year. Once for all, Hebrews 9.26, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. God transferred the guilt of wandering sheep like us onto the head of the scapegoat and sent him away. Jesus bore our sins on that cross, becoming our substitute and taking our sins far away. 
And the reason Jesus could do this, the, the thing that qualified him to be the scapegoat, leads us to the third thing that we need to know from 1 John 3, 5. For Christmas to be really be Christmas for us. Remember what the verse says? You know that he appeared to take away sins. And what's the last phrase? And in him, there is no sin. There's no sin. He appeared to take away sins. But here's the unique perfection of Christmas. Jesus had no sin of his own. That's why he could be our substitute, our scapegoat. He had no sins of his own because he was born of a virgin. He was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit minus the sinful nature that all the rest of Adam's race has inherited from their parents. He didn't get it. And so he and he alone was qualified as the sinless one to have our sins laid on him and to bear them and carry them away. No sins of his own. 100% human, but no sins of his own. Can you even imagine that? No two-year-old tantrums. No juvenile selfishness. No teenage rebellion. No adult hypocrisy in Jesus. No sin. No secrets. No hiding. No lust. No pride. No greed. No selfish ambition. You say, was he tempted? Oh yeah, he was tempted. The Bible says he's tempted in every way that we are tempted. And yet not in one single instance did he cave into temptation and sin. And not only did he have no sin, but he, he always exhibited perfect righteousness, didn't he? He always did the will of his Father. He always treasured God above everything else. He was full of grace and truth, the perfect blend And he always expressed true love. Always, always. And so Jesus the Christ was qualified not only to take away our sins, but to give us his righteousness. I've said this before. I I think it's an apt illustration. It's like exchanging report cards with the smartest kid in the class. Jesus took our record of C's and D's and F's and failing to glorify God and sinning and in exchange he gave us his straight A report card of the perfect student because Jesus has a perfect record. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. That's what Jesus came to do. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. That's the unbelievable plan of Christmas. That's the undeniable purpose of Christmas. His sinlessness is the unique perfection of Christmas. All of that wrapped up in a little Jewish baby boy nestled in the arms of his mother, Mary, that night. I tell you, you won't miss Christmas this year if you can grasp those three things. But there's a fourth thing that I need to mention. One more thing you need to know. Yes, he appeared to take away sins, but on one occasion Jesus also said in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What does that mean? It means that not everyone's sins are taken away. And this is the ultimate paradox of Christmas. Yes, he appeared to take away sins. Yes, he's the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. 
But not everyone's sins are actually taken away. Some people will die in their sins, he said. Listen, Jesus Christ's death on the cross was sufficient to remove all the sins of all people for all time, but it is only effective for those who believe. It's only applied to those who believe. Unless you believe, he said, you will die in your sins and face the prospect of one day standing before the judge of the universe with all of your own sins and all of your own righteousness, and it won't be enough. It strikes me that even in this room tonight on a Christmas Eve that there are those in this room who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ and your sins have been taken away and you have the perfect righteousness of Christ credited to your account. God sees you as he sees his own son. And there are those in this room who have never had their eyes open to the sinfulness of their sins and they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and his sacrifice on the cross. And if you were to die, you would die in your sins. And so, I must ask you on this Christmas Eve, have you ever believed? Have you ever believed? Has God ever opened your eyes to your sinfulness? I remember when it happened for me. I saw it for the first time. How, what a stench my sins were to God. How desperately I needed a savior, a rescuer. And I called out to Jesus to save me. I forsook my own efforts at making myself right with God, all my own self-salvation projects, and I put my faith solely in Jesus Christ. And the great exchange happened for me that day, and it can happen for you tonight on this Christmas Eve. Last weekend, over 30 people responded to the message of Christ by saying, I need Jesus to be my Savior to take away my sins. God is calling me to repent and believe. And we rejoice with all of those folks. But how about you tonight? You know, it's Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. And you know, we give gifts to one another at Christmas time, and that's fine. But he gave the ultimate gift of himself for us. And I wonder tonight how many of you he's calling to give your life to him this Christmas season. Would you bow your heads with me? Prayer. What about you tonight? Some of you, God's calling you right now because you have just had the great privilege of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's talking to you and he's saying, you know, you, you need this. This is for you. My son died for you. My son loves you. You need forgiveness of sins and eternal life and it can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you tonight, I, I want to invite you to just pray a prayer expressing what's in your heart because he's listening. You could say, you could whisper something like this from right there where you sit. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, just say that to him, dear Jesus. I believe in you. I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the grave three days later. You proved you were the Son of God. I need you to save me. Just tell him that. Jesus, I need you to save me from my own sins. 
Come into my life. Be my king. Forgive my sins. I receive your gift of eternal life. And then thank him. Just say, thank you, Jesus. No one else could save me but you. With your heads bowed, did you pray that along with me? If you did, would you just raise your hands all around the room? Amen. Amen. Out on my left, any of you pray that with me? Yeah. Yes. About in the middle section. Thank you. God bless. Over on my right, yeah. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you today because you came from heaven to earth, humbled yourself, took on a robe of human flesh, came in a manger of all things. We praise you because you grew up. At age 12, you confounded the religious scholars of your day. Age 30, you were baptized by John in the Jordan River and tempted by the devil in the wilderness came through with flying colors and launched your ministry but we especially praise you because you died on that old rugged cross for each and every one of us to take away our sins I pray that salvation has come to the hearts and lives of many in this room tonight and we worship you for giving us new life We really look forward to seeing you one day. Thank you for these special moments in your word. Help us to worship you now in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together and uh, let's worship the Lord.